back in 1994, I was serving as, the, as an assistant at the Baptist Student Ministry at Texas A&M University. You know, they need a lot of help down there. That's right, yeah. So I was helping out down there, and there was a student in the ministry. He had gone on a mission trip with us. He was leading a small group discussion uh, Bible study type thing in one of our, our ministry efforts. He was involved. He was like a lot of the other students in there. Uh, in fact, he worked at the grocery store where we did our shopping and he would oftentimes check Lindley out as she was there. And we had, uh, our oldest was just born. And so he's a little baby. And so he was very kind and considerate to Lindley in those moments. And, you know, I, I thought that he was like a lot of the other students in our ministry. He would say all the right things. Gave you every impression that he was a follower of Christ. But what he said became a stark contrast to what he did. He committed a horrible crime for which he was executed. Terrible. To this day, I still don't understand a lot of what happened. There's a lot of questions that I have, and I don't know that I'll ever completely understand. But I'll tell you this, being a part of that story changed my life. It affected me. Today's story in the book of Judges, if you're, if you're new here, we're preaching through the book of Judges. And this is the passage you get to that makes you not want to preach through the book of Judges. It's really hard. I'm, I'm not sure that we're going to understand the story. I'm going to do the best I can to explain the story. But the bottom line is, I'm not sure we're going to leave today with all our questions answered. I'm not sure we're going to leave today feeling like we understand the story. But what I hope is that when we feel the tension of not understanding this story that would drive us to being willing for God who gave us the story to change our lives. And so I'm asking you to approach this story with the ambition that God would change your life as you hear it unfold before you. Now, the story is in Judges chapter 11. And Jephthah, our judge, our fifth judge, has had this encounter with the king of Ammon. And they had these, these attempts at negotiations. The king of Ammon was saying that there was a piece of land that he owned that the people of God took from him. And Jephthah then says, well, that's not exactly what happened. Anyway, they have these attempted negotiations. Jephthah tells the king of Ammon, here's God's will. This land belongs to us. You can't take it because God's given it to us. So don't try because it's not going to work out good for you if you try. Well, the king of Ammon does not listen to Jephthah. He does not care about God's will. And so we know at that point, victory is certain. Because God's will has been communicated, the, 
the lines have been drawn in the sand, and we know if King, the king of Ammon does not listen to what God's will is and does not care about God's will, it's not going to be good. So we're anticipating victory at that point in the story, and that leads us into today's scene, the first scene of today's story. Judges chapter 11, verse 29. Now the Spirit of the Lord came upon Jephthah, so that he passed through, the, through Gilead and Manasseh, and then he passed through Mizpah of Gilead, and from Mizpah of Gilead he went on to the sons of Ammon. Now stop right there. At that point right there, we are expecting the next thing to happen is this great display and description of victory. We are right there on the edge of our seats listening to the story, expecting if the Spirit of God has come upon Jephthah and he has stood for the will of God against all things and the king of Ammon has ignored God, we are fixing to see victory for God's people. That's where we're brought to in the story and the strangest little detour occurs right here in the story. Look at this. Verse 30. Jephthah made a vow to the Lord and said, If you will indeed give the sons of Ammon into my hand, then it shall be that whatever comes out of the doors of my house to meet me when I return in peace from the sons of Ammon, it shall be the Lord's and I will offer it up as a burnt offering. So Jephthah says, God, if you'll do this, then I'll do this. And the next thing we do, we go right back in the story focused on the battle. Now notice the amount of attention given to the actual battle here. Verse 31, or verse 32, so Jephthah crossed over to the sons of Ammon to fight against them. The Lord gave them into his hands. He struck them with a very great slaughter from Aor to the entrance of Mineth, 20 cities and as far as Abel Karamim. So the sons of Ammon were subdued before the sons of Israel. That's it. That's all we get about the fight. That's all we get about the victory. That's all we get about the situation. It's done. We're finished with that. Now we're back to the question at hand. What's going to happen when Jephthah gets home? The story is really about that. That's where the attention is. That's what's supposed to begin arresting our hearts, where our concern is supposed to be rising. We have seen the victory, the Spirit of God have come upon Jephthah, and now he's made this vow, and he's headed home in victory. What is going to happen? Jephthah steps into the place heading home where people in his home could see him coming home. His daughter. And the, and the scripture says his one and only daughter. His only child. I mean, put yourself in this position. His only child runs out of the house. With tambourines and dancing. Celebrating that her dad has come home from war. Victorious. And safe. Can you imagine the joy that his daughter was expressing and feeling? Coming out of that house with incredible joy. That her dad came home victorious and safe. And the moment 
Jephthah sees her. Exit out of the door of the house. He tears his clothes, showing that he is ripped inside. And he says to his daughter, oh, my daughter, you have rent my heart. My heart is ripped to shreds. I am broken because I have made a vow to the Lord and I cannot break it. That's, that's beyond comprehension. I mean, I can't, I can't even understand. I don't get that. Are you with me? I don't get that. What's even more incomprehensible is what Jephthah's daughter then says. She then says to her dad, God delivered your enemy into your hands. He avenged you against the king of Ammon. So you do to me what you promised. What? I don't, I don't understand. She asks for a couple months to go hang out with some of her friends and mourn. And the, and the passage specifically says that she's mourning the fact that she is not able to marry or her virginity. So they mourn for a couple months. And I want you to listen to what this passage says here. At the end of two months, she returned to her father, verse 39, who did to her according to the vow which he had made. And she had no relations with a man. Thus it became the custom in Israel that the daughters of Israel went yearly to commemorate the daughter of Jephthah, the Gileadite, four days in the year. That story is really hard to understand. I mean, what happened? What really happened? Did Jephthah really take his only daughter and burn her to death? Or, or is there enough emphasis in this story for us to believe that he didn't really burn her what he did is he just dedicated to the Lord so that she could never marry the rest of her life I mean can we make enough out of this I want to propose to you that we don't know what happened and the story is told to leave us in a troubled state that the to story is told to leave us in a position emotionally where we are troubled at this story. Where we don't like it. And to be honest with you, whether she is killed or whether she's set aside and not able to marry, both of those endings are troubling for me. Whatever the ending is, I don't like the story. And it makes me unsettled. I just don't like it. I don't think it makes sense to me. And yet I know that God has given this story to us to change us. And I'm convinced that the emotional impact of the story to leave us troubled 
is so that we will be paying attention to what God wants to use this story to accomplish in our hearts. Because I don't know if you're like me, but I don't want to ever get in a place where my circumstances are as messed up as Jephthah's. This, tr- this story should be troubling. I hope you feel the sense of trouble that I am expressing to you. Let me give you a few reasons why this story should be so troubling to us today. First of all, what Jephthah says does not line up with what Jephthah does. You notice Jephthah says to the king of Ammon, if God's given us this land, it's ours, not yours. And if you come against us, you're not going to win. So Jephthah clearly knows it's God's will for him to win the battle. Then the Spirit of God comes upon Jephthah. He knows that he's going into victory. So what he says to King Ammon does not line up with what he does when he makes this vow. God, if you will give me victory, then I will give you a sacrifice. What? Wait a minute. Jephthah, you just said you believed God gave you the victory. Why is it that what you're saying is not lining up with what you're doing? Anytime what we say does not line up with what we do, and we observe that in somebody, it's troubling for us, right? I mean, you've seen it in your own life. Somebody says something, they do something else. And you don't like it, just like I don't like it. That troubles us when we see somebody say something and it does not line up with what they do. That's what we see in this story. Another reason this story is so very troubling is because this vow of sacrifice was totally and completely unnecessary. God had given a promise for victory. Jephthah did not need to make a vow to convince God to give the victory that God had already been determined to give. This sacrifice was totally unnecessary. And when we see how unnecessary it was and the fact that it was carried out, made and carried out, troubles us. We don't want anybody to make an unnecessary sacrifice. Did you know that when Jephthah made the vow and when he came home and he saw it was his daughter coming out of the house, that the law of God in Leviticus chapter 5 verses 4 through 6 gave Jephthah an out. The law of God says in Leviticus 5, if you make a vow to God thoughtlessly, whether it's evil or good, You can retract that vow and confess your sin for making a thoughtless vow to the Lord and simply offer him a goat as a sacrifice and you will be forgiven of that sin. Jephthah had a way out. What blows my mind about this story is when he realized it was his daughter and he ripped his clothes and he was broken in his heart that he did not take the way out that the law of God provided. And I just want to propose to you that that's indicative of the downward spiral 
of brokenness and rebellion in the days of the judges when the people of God were not connected at all to the word of God. This story troubles me because the people of God don't know the word of God. Either they didn't know it or they didn't care about it, but he didn't pay attention to the out that the law of God provided. And that is so deeply troubling when the people of God do not follow the word of God. This story is incredibly troubling because Jephthah is so close to the right kind of faith. I mean, when he stands against the king of Ammon, he is exhibiting the right kind of faith. God has promised to give the land. You can't do anything to stop God. And I'm just standing on his will because his will reigns supreme. At that point, he is the exemplary of faith. I think that's why he's in Hebrews chapter 11. Did you know Jephthah is one of the ones listed in Hebrews chapter 11 that talks about all the great faiths of the past? Well, he's standing right there in faith, believing that God's will reigns supreme. And then he gets sidetracked. Because then he makes this bargain with God. God, if, you, if you'll do this, If you'll help me get this victory and I return home safe, then here's what I'll do for you. And he stops trusting simply in what God said God will do. He begins making a bargain with God. And now his faith has shifted from being in what God says to being in what he can do to manipulate God to do what he wants God to do. Now I will tell you, his faith is is pretty remarkable. It's worth noting because he says, when he realizes it's his daughter, he says, I cannot break this vow to God. His, His impression is, I've made a promise to God I cannot break it. So think about what he's doing here. He's saying, I am going to stand on the sovereign will of God. And when I make a promise to God, no matter how hard it is to keep it, I'm not breaking it. Now that sounds a lot like the right kind of faith. The problem is that Jephthah had shifted his faith to being a faith in the wrong kind of sacrifice. Instead of believing what God had said and that being enough, Jephthah started believing in what he could do by making a sacrifice to convince God to do what he wanted God to do. And it's devastating. I mean, this story is troubling. Jephthah Jephthah knew enough to trust the Lord and to not make this grave error in his life. Now I want you to think about this story from a broader perspective. So Jephthah doesn't know all that we know, right? So when we read the story, we can think about the story not just from what Jephthah knew, which was enough. He knew enough about who God was and what God had said to trust God and not make this unnecessary vow and get sidetracked on what it really means to believe in God. He knew enough. 
But if we look at this little story in light of the entire Bible, we know so much more. And I think it puts us in a position for our lives to be changed. Jephthah didn't need to make an additional sacrifice to secure deliverance of God's people. God did not require an additional sacrifice. God sent his spirit on Jephthah before Jephthah made the vow. God had promised victory before Jephthah made the vow. It was certain. It was an unnecessary sacrifice. As we look at that story from the the broader picture of God's story, the Bible, here's what we know. That God had already made the necessary sacrifice to ensure deliverance for the people. What am I talking about? I'm talking about from the the foundation of the world that God has given His Son to die for sin so that God would be just in delivering sinners from their sin. So on the day of Judges, when God granted deliverance to his people, sinful people. I mean, you can't see a darker time in Scripture than the times of the Judges. These people don't deserve deliverance. And yet God delivers them again and again and again. How can a just God deliver sinful people who don't care about him? I'll tell you how. Because he's made the one necessary sacrifice to extend mercy and still be just. He gave his son, Jesus Christ, on the cross. No, it had not happened yet in the time of the judges, but Romans chapter 3, verses 25 through about 27 tell us that God is overlooking, is showing forbearance to sins committed during the time of the judges and delivering people because at a time later in history, he would deliver his son up for their sin. There was one necessary sacrifice made in Jesus Christ that enabled God to then deliver his people and be just in delivering a sinful people. Jephthah did not need to make the sacrifice because God had already paid the price for delivering his people. He'd paid it in the death of his son, Jesus Christ. That's the message of the gospel that we see right here. Jephthah gave his one and only child Bargaining for a freedom that had already been bought by the one and only child of God the Father. It was totally unnecessary. And God had told him what his will was. And here we are today and we can see so clearly that we have a Savior Jesus Christ, who gave himself once and for all, Hebrews chapter 7, verses 25 and following. He gave himself once and for all for our sin, a perfect sacrifice for us. The once and for all sacrifice has been made, and we see it, and that means there is no other sacrifice required to receive the deliverance of God. Now, this is critical for our lives. 
Because when we depart from grasping and embracing the gospel, we will drift into making all kinds of unnecessary sacrifices in our lives. And we've got to hold fast the gospel as we see it unfolding in the scripture, seeing that every little story is pointing us right to Jesus Christ so that we might be captured by him. I was talking to a guy this last week about what he believed, about salvation, forgiveness of sin, what he believed about God. You know what he said to me? He said, Kevin, I believe in God. And I know that I need to start going to church more. And, and I'm at a place in my life right now where I can make some changes and start living a better life. And I know that if I'll start living a better life, I'll have a much better job, much better chance of God accepting me. Do you hear what he said? If, God, if you'll deliver me, then I will live a better life. I said to this man, I said, listen, I want you to know that, that no matter how much you improve your life, from this day forward, and I'm sure you can do a lot better than you're doing. We all can do better. But here's the thing. If you, if you do better from this day forward the rest of your life, it doesn't matter how much better you get. You will not be able to be good enough to get what you're hoping to receive from God. You, you can't undo your sin. You can't do enough good to erase any of your sins, so you're still stuck with your sin. And if you just keep trying to do good, you know what you're going to discover? Is you've put your faith in the wrong sacrifice. You've decided to trust in the sacrifice it takes for you to live better as the way to encourage God to accept you. But here's the message of the gospel. The message of the gospel is that getting better about the way you live happens a whole lot more effectively in your life after you receive the gift of salvation. You see, Jesus Christ has lived the perfect life. You'll never be able to do that. And he gave his perfect life on the cross for your sins so that your sins would be paid for and you could receive his perfection as a gift called salvation just by trusting in Jesus Christ. If you make a decision to trust in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, he will give you eternal life as a gift. And then your getting better in life is a reaction to his gift instead of an attempt to manipulate him to give you something you can't pay for because he already paid for it. And there's no other payment he's accepting. And I urge this man to trust Christ. In Christ alone. You probably know people like that. But I don't want us this morning to think that we're out of danger. Because we don't think we're that person. When we, when we lose touch with the gospel. At any level in our lives. We're all suspect of drifting. Into making unnecessary sacrifices. God if you will heal my spouse of cancer, I will be more generous. I will serve you faithfully till the day I die. I will do anything and whatever it takes 
Lord, I pray that you would heal my spouse. Lord, if you would just bring back my child, my wayward son. In his teen years, he's drifted from you and he doesn't care about you anymore. And Lord, if you just bring my child back to the faith, I'll do whatever it takes. I'll give my life. I'll serve you to the day I die. Please bring my child back. We make these kinds of bargains in our lives because we drift from the gospel. Listen. God does not require our sacrifices to love us. God is not convinced by any of our sacrifices to love us. He has made the one needed sacrifice in His Son Jesus Christ to convince us that He loves us. He wants us instead to embrace the gospel and say to him, if you have demonstrated your love for me in the one necessary sacrifice of Jesus Christ, I can trust you. And if my spouse has cancer, I'll trust you. If you heal them, I'll trust you. If you don't heal her, I'll trust you because you've already displayed to me convincing reason you love me. I don't have to bargain with you for your love anymore. You've given it freely through Jesus Christ. I want to walk in that love by trusting you completely. Trust Him alone. God made the one necessary sacrifice so that we all might know He loves us. So trust Him. Trust Him. I know that we all have come into this place today. Most of us in this room have come here because we we say we believe that Jesus Christ is our Savior. We say we believe that we have been saved through faith in Christ alone. We say we believe that we understand the love of God because of the sacrifice of Christ. And I'm just hoping that this story, this terribly difficult story, would maybe give us reason to ask ourselves the question, is what I say I believe lining up with what I'm doing? Every day. Is is there any arenas of my life, God, that you would make known to me today that I've drifted from the gospel? Lord, I want you to line up everything that I'm saying with everything that I'm doing. Because I recognize that when what I say does not line up with what I do, and neither one of those line up like it should with the gospel, it is devastating. You think about, think about all the time and the brokenness and the energy and the resources and the effort that was spent year after year after year commemorating Jephthah's daughter. Think about what all they did year after year after year. I mean, 
so unnecessary. But I'm here to tell you that if we don't lay our lives before the Lord and say, Lord, we want you to line up what we say with the gospel and what we do with the gospel. If we don't do that, it will be more devastating than we can imagine. And Jesus Christ made the one necessary sacrifice so that each one of us in this room might avoid unnecessary devastation. We need moms and dads in this place to say, I want to line up my life with the gospel so that our children will see every reason to embrace the one necessary sacrifice. We need grandparents in this place to say, I want to line up the way I spend my time, my energy, my resources with the gospel. I want what I say about the gospel to match what I do with my life for the gospel so that my grandchildren might see the one necessary sacrifice, Jesus Christ, and embrace him. I just pray that Whatever happened to Jephthah and his daughter would find some level of redemption in our lives being changed to live for the gospel, to stop making unnecessary sacrifices. And instead, respond to the one necessary sacrifice and give our lives for Christ. That is the greatest way to spend your life.